Welcome back, everybody. This is the Emerging Evolution Podcast. I, as always, is one of your co-hosts, Rowdy the Inclusive Activist, and accompanied by Calvin the Drapedomaniac. And we're really excited to be here today. It was kind of funny because we thought we had ten podcasts. Oops. But as it turns out, we had nine podcasts. Oops. And number nine sounded like we were super done. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we have more stuff to do. So today, what we're going to focus on is tipping point moments in our lives mm. because people think we're just we've always been who we are we've always been all, like in their eyes awesome amazing realize I want to be blah 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 someday not like, knowing we look up to people I got a poster rowdy up in my bathroom you know so like I want to grow up to be like him yeah <laughs> right <laughs> right but it's funny because people look at us and they're like, I want to grow up. And we're like, man, I'm still growing. And please don't grow up to be me because I got so many flaws you don't want to perpetuate. Well, that's why I, the, the picture's up in the bathroom because I want everybody to remember we wipe, everybody wipes their ass. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. don't, don't put us on pedestal. No, no, no. So kind of what we're going to do here today with our podcast is we're going to talk about the seminal moments that happened in our history that made us an us, that helped... Uh, take us along certain paths and the thing that we want you to know I'm going to give away the ending now you're probably starting sooner than we did yep like you could outgrow us yep. we're going to be old on the porch being like get it mm-hmm. <laughs> do it mm-hmm. do it um, but we want you to know we're human that this stuff took time that it took a lot of time mm-hmm. for us to get to where we hope to go so for me my major first tipping point was in 2001 I was working for a peer advocacy group that was working at a Tempe Union High School called Peer Solutions. I know Peer Solutions. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. And uh, they were, they sent me to, I actually got fired from Peer Solutions. So again, being real. Damn. I was not emotionally ready to handle like working on my own, not in the office. How do you get fired from Peer Solutions? I couldn't handle my shit. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Like at the end of the day, like I kind of took my time with stuff. I wasn't like self-driven and motivated in the same way I was now. And it sucked because that was a great gig. Wow. But they didn't let me go. Wow. But do you see how like, again, I am just that human. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's 2001. Uh, I got sent to go do uh, Anytown director training. And I haven't really ever experienced stuff before beyond my own firsthand experience. Right. That's where I met Rory okay. and uh, a common friend of both of us. And kind of took us through stuff. And I was like, whoa. That was my wow moment. That was like my first like kind of woke thing. Mm. I was like, man, this is real stuff. Mm. Like this stuff is really bad. And I know I've always felt it. But like now I get it. Now I mm. see it. Now I see how interconnected it is and how planned it is mm-hmm. and how our purpose is. System ain't broke. System works. doing exactly what it's designed to. Yes. <laughs> yep. So that was my woke moment. Now, like, again, I got fired. So I kind of stayed dormant for <laughs> about eight years. That's a trip. So during that eight years, I'm working in higher ed part-time, but I'm also in a band, right? And I really don't share the band with anybody because, like, I was a character pretending to be a thing. I wasn't me. But I learned confidence. Mm. You know, I learned mic control. Mm. You know what I mean? With a mic control. Like, when you're just up in a crowd and you can 
command the crowd. Presence, man. Like, Stage presence. All that stuff. Yeah. All those little things. And it's, yeah. and it's funny because one of my students said, you know, you don't get to be who you want to become unless you play the shitty bars. Mm. And that was my shitty bar time. Like, that was where there was, like, three people in the audience some days. That's where we went to L.A. sometimes and people just looked at us like, what? <laughs> who? Who do you think you are? But then that's also nights where there would be a crowd of people that didn't expect to have any fun that had the time of their life. Right. I learned those things. That's right. And I actually learned being in a band, it isn't about me. It's about them. If they have a good time, if I create a space where they can have fun, then they're involved, they're engaged. And that made a really big difference to me with self-confidence as well as mic control. And then in 2008, I finally got on with the Maricopa Community Colleges and I worked in as advisor. And seeing an advisor at the college I was working at, Rio Salado, some of it's a lot of phone work and some of it's people in person. But that's where I started to learn that people don't have to be interactions, that you can just have a million relationships. And especially for me, my name is Rowdy. People remember me, yeah. right? I can come off of a, a hard or bad advising session, and people come in and they're like, Rowdy, what's up, man? How's mm-hmm. it going? And I'm like, man, I don't even remember you. Mm-hmm. But I'm loving this energy you bring to me. Mm-hmm. And again, that other focusness starts working it in. Uh, and then I start learning that like these people can be my, my relations. Like mm-hmm. I start seeing the all my relations connections in people mm-hmm. because I can make those relationships happen. That's powerful. And then around 2009, I want to say, is when we started doing the Mosaic curriculum, which I told you is loosely based on the Beyond Any Town stuff. Right, right. Where we're really getting into the systems right. and how the systems perpetuate. Right. And so uh, I sat through that. I saw Rory again. She was like, I think I remember you. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I remember you too. Uh, that's where I first got introduced to Jackie, who I'm hoping you either meet or re-meet. We don't know if y'all met or not. Okay. So, yeah. um, but then I started facilitating conversations with a group of people that really don't want to. Half the crowd likes it, wants to do it. Half the crowd is in the audience because they did something wrong. So I got a mix of people in the group, yeah. right? Which is nice because at least I got some evangelists there with me. Yeah. But there's other people that are like, well, I don't know about all this. I'm not interested in this. I don't want, I'm not a diverse person. I'm like, really? How'd you manage that? So those things kind of taught me a lot. Then 2010 was really big. I got into student life. I met Jim Rubin, who I hope you get to meet someday uh, with our work with emerging leaders, uh, really helping people understand how they have to lead themselves as an individual to be um, committed, to be a congruent whole person. Mm. Uh, then also, how do you work in groups of people, right? Are you... Um, are you open and honest? Can you have? Are you? Do you create a space for controversy? Do you create a space for, um, for conflict? And do you, can you do conflict well? Mm. Can you see there's a point in this disagreement mm. that's going to make you better? Mm. Right? That was a, that's a life changing idea, right? I tell that to my students. I'm like, you should love conflict. And they're like, what? Welcome it. I'm like, conflict is makes everything better. Mm-hmm. Conflict is Korean barbecue tacos. <laughs> Like, if tacos were just good enough, like, we would never have evolved. You know? Like, it's finding a space for new and better and different, and there's a new space for everything. Uh, I did a lot of team builders, so just random classes would come in, and I try to find ways to make them dynamic communities in about 75 minutes. And that's where I learned I can kind of help bring people together in that way. And again, it's not just a class. It's class after class after class for year after year after year and I got those high school kids they're like man I ain't trying to have fun 
Yeah. And I had to just suffer through that stuff. That's right. And they didn't even break. They didn't even grin sometimes. Yeah. They didn't. They were like, nope, we're not having fun, and they were right. Ice grill, man. Man, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's how you learn. Is you got to learn it because you got to earn it, mm-hmm. you know. And that path helped take me to get to the place where I could start teaching other people about it. So I started getting really good at facilitation, and then in 2011, I created the Diversity Incorporated program, and that's where I really started to get into train trainers. And that is such a next level thing. Mm-hmm. Like when you show people how to do this stuff mm-hmm. and you have to speak to their perspectives mm-hmm. and see their strengths and, ha- and coach them on their strengths and see their weaknesses and have them try to like work around those weaknesses or uh, embolden those weaknesses really, really makes a big difference. I got to work with Rory and Jackie on that project and they were just a wealth of information. And I still bring them in when I can because they, t- they show me so much stuff. But that's the time where I really started getting good and getting it down because I could start seeing what they're doing wrong and what's not connecting mm-hmm. and be able to give them the language to, to add the skills to make those connections while also seeing their style and not forcing my style on them. Right. Because that's hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, like appreciating other people's capacity. Yeah. Right. And the fact yeah. that they do it different. There's yeah. nothing wrong with nothing that. Different's awesome. Yeah. Like different is means that they'll connect to a people I would miss. Exactly. And I think that was really something seminal for me. Then 2014, grad school made a big difference for me. Uh, I talked to you about semiotics and the words and the interrelated meanings and how they create the patterns. When I saw that, I was like, whoa, that's another whole level of interconnected pattern replication that I can't wait to see. Fractals. Man, it's bananas. (laughs) It is just bananas. Yeah. Uh, Around that time, I went... Jackie, the year before, had gone to the Kingian nonviolence training, and that's where I really came to understand that violence is just harm. And when you start doing violence, you harm, but not just not just everybody else, you, because mm-hmm. you replicate the pattern of violence within you. And I was like, wow, can I live a life of no harm? And I'm still answering that question. Hopefully, a little bit more every day. We'll do it till we die. Yeah, it's it's not easy, but it's good. And then I started putting on. Civil Conversations, it was like a healing racism type thing. Uh, I joined the Healing Racism Board, I want to say, probably around 2012, 13. And so I got some experience like just working with random community members, mm. which was really fantastic. And then I was excited to see. And with Civil Conversations, I'd pick just very loaded topics. And I just got people to listen to each other about how they felt about stuff. Mm. So they could understand how they were feeling. Because mm. nobody's evil in their brain. Nobody's <laughs> intentionally wrong. You know what I mean? No one's like, right. let's be wrong today. Yeah. I look forward to being an ass. <laughs> right? <laughs> like there's something in their life that made them feel that way. And yeah. until you understand their point of view, their frame of reference, you just cannot talk to them. Right. And that made a really big difference with uh, things. And then I started meeting with some activists in the community who started to challenge me to see the world in a different way. I met Heather Hamill, who runs Justice That Works, that was like, what if we abolished police? Mm-hmm. What if we didn't need them? Mm-hmm. What if, like, when there was problems, we just called for only help? Like, hey, there's a problem. We need someone to come help. Yeah. Hey, there's domestic violence in the store. They need help. Right. They don't need jail. They need help. It's a different way to look at it. Yeah. And understanding that really, really made a big, big difference, and that's something I'm still processing. 2016, I finished grad school. 2016 is when I first start getting work. 
right? People start hiring, like, Rowdy, can you come out? Can you talk about this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Mm. So that's where those little things start happening. And it's funny because, like, everybody looks at those, and especially when your career's starting, man, it's just a couple things here and there. Mm. You know what I mean? You're like, every time you get a job, you're like, man, it'd be cool to have another job <laughs> if it ever happens. Right. You know what I mean? Like, people think that it's just like, you start... And everybody wants you all the time. Nah. Nah. It's a slow thing. It's yeah. slowly building. Yeah. And and notice too, Cal, I had to give it away first. Yeah. I had to give it away with healing racism. I had to give it away with civil conversations. Yeah. Like, unless I gave it away and got better at it, nobody would want to pay for it. Well, it, it I equate it to, this is going to sound crude, but drug dealers, the first hit's free. Mm-hmm. And then once you're hooked... Yeah. Then you go get more. Yeah. You was just slanging justice, slanging yeah. peace. <laughs> yes. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God it sells too. <laughs> uh, so I finished grad school. That really helped me a lot. The being in the classroom over and over again really makes a positive difference for me. Also, inclusive activism is is rolling. Uh, we're rolling into our third full year of February. Nice. And so that's biweekly taking on topics that are hard to explain mm. and then deep diving into it and explaining it and the only person to hold me accountable for that is me mm. if I'm late a week I mean no, I'm not going to get fired right like nobody's going to say nothing which is a blessing and a curse yes it is because yeah. you got to make that thing happen that's right and so learning how I turns where it's analytics uh, the background stuff working with a partner who's working full time too like with mm-hmm. uh, Sarah who still got to meet someday mm-hmm. um, has been really interesting and, and capacity building and made a difference and then uh, the last mountain that I just climbed 2019 I am now officially a full time residential faculty member Woo-hoo! like my whole life is now teaching people how to be better people like yeah they get credits but like I, I tell them if at the end of the day you're not better I failed you and me. That's amazing, though, Rowdy. That's, yeah. that's a hell of a journey. It is. I mean, it took it took a long time. Yeah. And nobody saw the, the, the stutters, like the bad days, the, the, mm. the complete failures. Oh, yeah. There's so many of them. Oh, yeah. But all those little tipping points made me to the person I am today. Mm. So how about you, Calvin? Tell me about your journey, your path. Man. Like, how did, how did you become the draped maniac? Well, okay, in case I haven't explained, drapedomania is a pseudoscience concept. It's uh, what they would say enslaved Africans would have when they would try to escape slavery. So Harriet Tubman had drapedomania because people would be like, why would you want to escape slavery? It's she so had great. It bad. She had drapedomania really bad. <laughs> she she was heavily afflicted. And she was viral. Yes. She, she was spreading that drapedomania yep. all over the place. And so, basically, drapedomania was people that were enslaved trying to get free. It was saying that they were crazy. So, I'm crazy. I'm a drapedomaniac. I'm trying to get free. Mm-hmm. Uh, my journey goes back to St. Louis, tipping point. Um, man, just being born into a multiracial family, uh, growing up poor as dirt, but then having a dad who was a physician in L.A. back and forth, mm-hmm. that juxtaposition between worlds, uh, seeing black folks that were struggling with intense historical trauma, and then hanging out with bougie black folks that had money, yeah. uh, that went on skiing vacations, and oh, yeah. you know, and seeing these patterns of violence and virtue and many ways, and then just dealing with society. 
So um, two friends of mine were killed because they were women, Julie and Robin. Um, and Rudy was killed because he was black. That was a major tipping point for me. Anger, frustration, deep pain. Yeah. And uh, wanting to get payback, wanting to do some really bad stuff, getting in trouble, doing two years of probation for second degree assault. Um, then realizing I'm spitting on their graves, I'm dishonoring their memory. That's tough. So me and another buddy uh, take a trip, drive to L.A. Uh, he grew up out there, and I grew up back and forth between St. Louis and out there. And um, basically, we did, a, did 180, decided to teach kids peace. Yeah. So we started airbrushing people's clothes, like the whole Belle Biv DeVoe kind of stuff. Oh, man. yeah. Airbrush yeah. on, like, overalls and jeans. Yeah. yeah, We were doing that, writing peace symbols and things, and this whole social-centric concept was born. And um, then... What uh, year is that, like, the, the idea? Of that was 1990. Wow. 1990. Yeah. Uh, then, and the summer of 91, in L.A., Went to Phoenix on a fluke, went on a blind date, got married, <laughs> moved to Arizona with $100 in my pocket, but a lot of love. She introduced me to the Baha'i faith. I started doing all this work in the Baha'i community, all this oneness of humanity, love people stuff. I'm like, I always believe this. I was raised Baptist. My mom was Catholic. And when I told my family, you know, I was hanging out with these Baha'is, they were like, but who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's exactly what comes to mind. <laughs> and so uh, that gave me this new paradigm of the oneness of the world that, you know, we cross borders made by God, Allah, the old goddess, whatever you want to call it, made the skies and the seas and the land. But we haven't crossed our man-made borders, superstitions around religion and race and nationality. So, yeah, just the oneness of humanity doing all kind of stuff and in 1993 um, you know met this dude named Richard Valenzuela mm -hmm. he was the executive director for the National Conference of Christians and Jews at that time what they, kind of brought you together with you and her so my stepmom or rather my mother-in-law my wife's mom okay went to Anytown the Anytown camp oh, okay. back in the 60s with Richard Okay. Is where she met, was where she was introduced to the Baha'i faith. Yep. So it was two Baha'is that started the Anytown program in Arizona. That's funny. Um, and it's the National Conference of Christian and Jews. Yeah, but it was John Cook and Nancy Phillips. They, yeah. It was Brotherhood Sisterhood in Santa Monica in the 50s. Yeah. And then they started, uh, they brought the, the Anytown model here and built that model here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And um, so they connected with the NCCJ because they were like, this is two different religious organizations working together, mm -hmm. so it seemed like the perfect place to house the concept. Makes right? sense, yeah. And so, National Conference of Christians and Jews later became National Conference for Community and Justice, and later just the National Conference, right? And so, uh, basically, my mother in law introduced me to Richard because mm -hmm. Richard was her counselor for her discussion group at camp. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and he was executive director. Yeah. And so, he was, who's this guy, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a little knucklehead, didn't have a degree, yeah. uh, working on art, man. You know, yeah. I had created this character named Sean and oh, yeah. wrote a children's book and doing all this stuff. And basically, uh, he took me to visit an Anytown camp one night on gender night. 
Well, what they did was it wasn't gender night as we know it now. Yeah. And uh, I said, this is, I'm made for this. Yeah. I was a duck in water. Yeah. He hired me as an assistant director. And man, we created the one day, like respect day model that's been used all over the country. Yeah. Challenge day, all kind of stuff. Then we created the two night, three day and the three night, four day Unitown models mm -hmm. because people were doing any town word for word. There was yeah. Unitowns going on in schools, and I was like, we can't do this, man. Uh, people will go to Unitown, and then they go to any town and be like, been there, done that. The same thing. Right. And I was yeah. like, so we got to create a different kind of curriculum, different kind of models, so that people will have that. And so Richard just let me run, just buck wild, creating curriculum. Yeah. And I was just writing up stuff and trying this, and a lot of failing, man. Like, stand up in front of a room, and people, you know, crickets, you yep. know, Bueller, Bueller. People like, that was stupid. Yeah. Uh, arguing with me, um, you know, doing work in schools and neighborhoods, community conversations, just all over the place. Yeah. So, long story short, 1995, uh, Anytown was struggling with money. And then uh, Richard was like, you could still consult for us. I left and basically started just doing different kind of jobs on the side and going to school. So what's happening with those other jobs? Like, what are you working? Like, man, I worked at Saks Fifth Avenue. Okay. I was a Prada and Chanel specialist. Oh, okay. Right. I sold yeah. ladies' handbags and shoes. Robinson Main Men's Department, uh, selling suits. Uh, working at Kelly Temporary Services, doing like nighttime jobs. You know, yeah. graveyard shifts at Revlon factory places. Yeah. Um, day labor stuff. Where I give a social security number, and I'm out. You know, picking and shoveling, ground, throwing rocks, putting cardboard in balers, giving blood plasma. I got a big hole oh, yeah. still in my arm yep. right there where I would give blood plasma, like pump yep. my arm like this. Because, um, you know, in the meantime, I was having babies, man. I was yeah. having kids. Yeah. And, you, you know, married. Yeah. yeah, you know, but I didn't want to give up on this idea of helping humanity. Nice. And so, um, yeah, man. So then basically launched Social Centric as a consultant business. And so just what year would that be? That was 95. Okay. And was still working. Uh, my last gig in 97, I was teaching 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th grade social studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, my son, my eldest son, uh, we used to watch The Sandlot a lot. Yeah. And there was that part where Babe Ruth visits Benny Rodriguez in his yeah, dream yeah. and he's like just jump over to get that ball pickle the beast right <laughs> yeah well my son was on, is on the spectrum and he would memorize movies and he was a little guy he was like five years old and my wife and I, and I are up two in the morning talking about like making this leap of faith not having a an insurance policy health insurance you know no backup yeah and Alec walks out of his room like a zombie and quoted that whole scene about Benny jumping over the fence to go get the ball and just pickle the beast yeah and like just jump over the fence and then he walked and went back to bed yeah and we looked at each other like what the was that <laughs> yeah. and then one of my students Joseph Moreno still remember his name said Mr. Calvin the stuff you do with us you need to do with kids everywhere all the time yeah and i was like thank you joseph so 1997 i left uh teaching and i started social centric full-time and i have all kind of stuff i've from casper wyoming to medora north dakota to hartford connecticut to la to 
Texas, Mississippi, Virginia, you name it. I'm all over. People are calling me. I'm putting out fires when a school gets shot up or some kids OD somewhere or the police kill somebody or there's a riot. Intervention, stepping in. And a lot of crashing and burning and working on the fly, figuring it out. So trying to intervene to de-escalate things and get people to calm down and work together. Prevention, a lot of stuff of prevention, discrimination, disproportionality of what's going on, particularly with Native, Black, and Latinx kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and then promotion of the oneness of humanity. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of this, creating curriculum, creating slides. I'm still doing Unitown camps left and right. I was mm -hmm. doing like 10 camps a school year. Wow. And that was, that's, that's 97, up through about 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I got a lot of training of folks at camps, helping people to launch their own kind of businesses and become yeah. speakers and facilitators. Just, man, I've been all over the place, Rowdy. And so tell me about, like, so you make the decision, right? You know, from the mouth of babes comes yeah. this direction. Yeah. So tell us about the times when it was like, you know, because it's not just like, oh, oh bam, here I go, I'm going to Casper, I'm going, you know what no, I mean? No, no, man, like, there was like gigs, like, you know, days where it was hungry, man, yeah. eating beans and rice, and, yeah. you know, it's feast of famine, and right. then, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a website, yeah. or, you know, some marketing, or an agent, Yeah. it was all, all my work was word of mouth, but, I mean, by the grace of God, or whatever you want to call that power that made the stars, um, more and more people just started calling. Yeah. And they were like, you gotta get this dude, you gotta get this guy. And it was attached to me as an individual, but these were just concepts that, patterns of, of, of virtues mm -hmm. that I realized. This wasn't, I, I figured out a way to deliver it in creative ways, to express it in unique ways. Kind of like a comedian tells a good joke because yeah. they're a good observer. Yeah. I was just being a good observer. Yeah. And so just doing what works. And then in the meantime, constantly studying constantly reflecting on and then just it just bloomed yeah. bloomed and now you know I I had to check some people I was doing this thing at a in Michigan at a university working with the College of Education and they were calling me Dr. Terrell and I was doing another thing yeah. in Hartford Bridgeport Connecticut Dr. Terrell I was like no I'm not doctor anything <laughs> uh, but just you just can't believe that you know some knucklehead from the streets of St. Louis is standing in front of you talking about stuff, working with you who have a lot of alphabets behind your name on concepts that you're wrestling with. Mm -hmm. And so now, um, you know, created my nonprofit, got a lot of things going, um, you know, people reaching out to me from London and other parts of the world to do things. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, it's, it's bigger than individuals. Yeah. And the real sustainable, you know, I tell people as a consultant, um, you know, one of my one of my biggest people would say biggest achievements was uh, I sat in Oprah Winfrey's chair, mm -hmm. and my PowerPoint was where it said Oprah, and I worked with all of her executive producers, mm -hmm. and did a lot of powerful stuff with Harpo, and I helped them transition from the uh, the show that was on the regular networks to the O network. Mm -hmm. And it was my Chappelle moment, I call it, because I was making a shitload of money, yeah. coaching people and whatnot, but I walked away from it because I yeah. felt dirty, man. I felt I was prostituting myself, 
the world of production is is grimy. People blow out other people's candles to make theirs burn brighter. Yeah. And I was getting seduced by status yeah. and pleasures. Man, it's hard, isn't it? I walked away. I walked away. And I that's one of the proudest things I've ever done in my life. I mean, having kids and being a, a husband and, you know, those things and, and striving to be a spiritual warrior is important. But that to me was, I, I felt like, Galadria and Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. when she was when Frodo offered her the ring and yep. she was like I would become a tempest and then yeah. she said no and she's like I will diminish yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I felt like Galadria man and um, so anyway uh, but it's been hard you know times away from family Yeah, you know my kids calling me a hypocrite you know you help people but sometimes you don't help us yeah. um, my, my, my other family why don't you get a real job you know yeah. uh, getting betrayed people stealing ideas I got pimped out of some stuff and somebody I knew went and did a bunch of stuff with the truth and reconciliation in South Africa made millions of dollars oh, working wow. with Mandela whole curriculum I wrote up man yeah. um, you know getting you know I've been punched in the face kicked in the balls had a kid jump on my back with a knife. I was pushed out of a window. Um, you know, it's it's been hard. I've, I've you know, it, it's not a romantic, you know, 15 minutes and two commercial breaks, it's all done. Well, I think that's what the people think. They think like, oh, it's so cool, you're flying from place to place. But like, they don't see like the like, planes canceled. Yeah. Like I got a six hour layover. I was supposed to be home six hours ago. Oh, uh, no. Nobody knows me. Get, Nobody cares about me. Getting just, stuck in freaking Chicago, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be in Michi- Michigan, and a blizzard comes in, and I have to figure out, get a rental car, and drive across through Indiana through a damn blizzard to get to Holland, Michigan. Yeah. Driving through a blizzard, and then getting there, and then flying to Hartford right after that's finished, and then finish up in Hartford, and then flying from there to L.A., and then getting off the plane, driving like an hour or two out into some Orange County place, and then have a kid cuss you out in the juvenile detention center, and then go back to your hotel, and it's freaking bed bugs. <laughs> it's so, like, that shit, man. It's it's hard, yeah. you know? And then, you know, getting like... Well, they don't realize, too, is like sometimes you lose money on gigs. Oh, yeah, man. Because you're trying to fulfill your commitments. But, like, people just think that it's all income coming in. No, man. And giving, you know, and then doing stuff just for the sake. And then hearing horrible stories. People that walked over, you know, 100 miles. People, kids that had to kill their parents because they were child soldiers fighting over diamond mines. And kids in rape camps in the Balkans. And, you know, crossing landmines from Cambodia. And, like, or just, you know... People disclosing, you know, at camps that my mom's boyfriend is raping me or, you know, I was I've been molesting my nephew. And then you got to get law enforcement and CPS involved and are chasing somebody through the forest because they've been triggered. And like it's the work has been beautiful and hard, hard. At the same time, I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything else. And uh, I realized all my traumas and everything I've been through prepared me as well as all the beauty. And so um, I, I can honestly say confidently 
that I could talk to any kind of human being mm-hmm. and find a way to build a relation. And so mm-hmm. all my relations um, is real. And so I'm glad we're doing this because people need to know this this isn't work. This is a lifestyle. This it is, is a way very of definitely a life. Yeah. And it's funny because you tell me your stories and as you tell me your stories, you know, it's so easy to be jealous of your highlights. But you tell me your stories and I'm like, man, I'm so glad I only get to take the jobs. Like, oh, I only got to take the jobs I want. I have, I have like an anchor here, like the stuff. But that's what I told you when I met you. I was like, you know, like you're going to bring all this experience that I don't have because you've got like a decade on me. And then like hours upon hours on me. Mm-hmm. But like I have a foot here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Phoenix is where I'm at. I, yeah. Like I may go places, but like I'm here first. Right. You know, and like for you, a lot of your other stuff is there first. You know? Mm-hmm. And like hearing about that, like that's where you have to be grateful for what you get. Because I could look at you and be like, man, I wish I was Calvin and flying nah, anywhere nah, and going nah, to nah, London nah, or whatever. Nah. You know, I'm just in my classes or whatever. But, like, when you can be grateful for the things you've had. I heard something great the other day uh, that I want to share with everybody. And they were saying that you should practice deep gratitude for the things that, be- that you believe in your life that are yet to come as though they've been delivered mm-hmm. a long time ago. So then the resonance of gratefulness mm. within you makes it an inevitability. You, you, Roddy, this, this is so deep because there was a time in doing this work where I would be with other presenters or facilitators, trainers, and I would see something really amazing and powerful, and I would feel a sense of competition Stupid I feel ego. a sense of like yeah, yeah like ah yeah and I know what I realized is that was a scarcity paradigm that's yep. the colonial paradigm mm-hmm. and that the universe is is abundant absolutely and so I started practicing and this is what I learned a big tipping point was in the Baha'i Institute process this concept called a humble posture of learning of when you see something amazing you just stand in awe and you're like I want to learn from that mm-hmm. I want to learn how to incorporate that in my life and so giving credit I always give credit I learned so much at any town you know that was my that was really my big launch pad of yeah. this you know and but so I recommend anybody don't don't steal uh, if you've ever been to an, an indigenous gathering people will sometimes when they introduce themselves it's a good three minutes because they're telling you all their clans yeah. all their ancestors everybody before them there's a lot of people that went before you to get you to where you are. So Rowdy and I are just the the modern, the current manifestations of decades and centuries and millennia of people before us. You know, and you are too. That's the thing that we told all these stories for. Yes, is you are thinking about, or maybe just put your foot on a path. And so many people will look at us and think, oh, you're realized. We're just on the same road. We're realizing. In different places. And our place isn't necessarily ahead. Because for sure, a lot of you starting will pass us. And that's, thank God you will. Well, <laughs> we look, need you to. Well, I look at the way I approach diversity, and I'm putting up quote fingers, um, in the early days. And now I realize, you know, I look at that and I felt it was harmful. There's ways, there's things that, I mean, I don't, you know, blame or shame on myself, 
at the same time, I know that we're in a constant evolution. Yeah. We're never there. We never get it. Yeah. We're always growing toward it. Yep. You know? Yeah. So it, it's it's learning to appreciate the moment, be humble enough for the future, and appreciate the negative and positive and beautiful and horrible of the past. Well, with that, we do this so we can be a resource for you beyond ourselves. Because it's not about Calvin. It's not about Rowdy. It's about the work and that the work needs to be done. And I've never yet seen a lack of work that I've ever need to worry about my own job. There's so much work. Always. There's plenty of work. Sad, but So I'll take anybody that wants to sign up to do it. So with that, remember, we're a resource. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can give us a call on the voicemail line, 860-576-9393. That's how you get a hold of us. Again, 860-576-9393. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us like where you are in the path. Ask us questions about how you take the next step. Uh, we may know. We may not know. Uh, you might find a path that's so much better than what we figured out. But it's a way for us to talk and have conversations together. If you want to go get a hold of me, you can do so at inclusiveactivism at cox.net uh, and learn more about my organization at www.inclusiveactivism.com. And how do they get a hold of you, Calvin? You can email me at Calvin B, B as in boy, dot Terrell, T E R R E L L, at gmail.com. Or Calvin, that's Calvin like Calvin Klein. Calvin with the C at calvinterrell.com. Social Centric Institute, socialcentric.com is where uh, my nonprofit website is. Uh, put us out of a job. Yes. <laughs> Make us retire early. Yeah, put us out of a job. That would be wonderful. <laughs> and I got I got a little piece of news that uh, that I'm, I'm hoping Calvin can share the world because by the time this hits, that'll be a, that'll be true. So Rowdy, man, it, it, this brother's pointing at this thing. I, I actually say I'm pretty excited about this social spiritual evolution. Uh, I officially am on the TED website. I have a TEDx talk. I guess it's the TEDx website. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so if you want to check out the TEDx website and type in social, that's S O C I O dash spiritual evolution. Calvin Terrell, yeah, you can see my TEDx talk. Really excited to be able to tell people for it for the first time because we're having to sit on it for a bit, but the nature of editing makes it so you get it now. So we're happy to celebrate with you. It's dope. It's dope. Yeah, man. Congratulations, brother. Thank you, brother. TED speaker. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and with that, thank you for your time and attention. We really appreciate your ears and your heart. Blessings. Peace.